don't operate from this. This is a dangerous mechanism for Tony. But shifting to my heart and, and, and giving my heart and being of service and contributing to people's lives, that comes from my heart. I do that, I'm in a much better place. It's okay to make a mistake. It's just not okay not to do something about it and that you have time in this moment to do it. And that's what I want people to know. This moment, today, this only time I have with you, this is it. Did I do everything I could? Absolutely. Did I leave it all on the line? Absolutely. Did I show people that mistakes are possible and there are solutions out there to fix them? Absolutely. Do that every single day. I am living my legs. I'm not, I'm not someday, I am today. Yeah. I want to tell you the truth, which is I fucked up. I made more mistakes. I should be dead. I should be divorced. My kids shouldn't want to do anything. My business partner shouldn't want to do anything with me. My friends and family should all be away from me. But what's awesome in recovery is once you admit you need help, you seek it, you get it, you work it, and you never quit, amazing things will happen in your life. And you will look back at it and you'll go, oh, that's the promise. Those are the promises that are given to us. They're right in front of us every single day if we just don't stop. Hey, sober people and sober adjacent people. Welcome to I Have 12 Questions. I'm Amanda Patton, your host, the leading expert on nothing. However, I am in recovery and I love it so much so that I launched this podcast where we get to talk to people who are trudging the road to happy freaking destiny across all the different ways that people get there. So while this is definitely through the lens of recovery and sobriety, these stories and the themes that we'll be covering are universally human. So love, loss, grief, excitement, parenting, outside issues, purpose, God stuff, whatever. In the words of the great Ted Lasso by way of Walt Whitman, I want to be curious, not judgmental. So like I said, we'll be talking to people in recovery. We're going to be talking to experts and practitioners who help those people along their path in recovery. And we're just really excited to hear people tell their stories and to be inspired by them and to create a community of support for everybody in recovery and people who know and love people who struggle with addiction issues and whatnot. So anyways, we're so glad you're here and thanks for listening. Hey listeners, just a quick disclaimer before we get into the interview. The views and opinions expressed by those interviewed on I Have 12 Questions or myself are just opinions and our own personal experiences. We are not doctors or therapists or psychiatrists, so none of the recommendations or opinions expressed should be considered medical or psychological advice. There may be adult language contained in some of these episodes, as well as triggers around conversations regarding rape, sexual abuse, drug and alcohol usage, depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, and many other topics that will come up when we are discussing addiction and recovery from addiction. So please use discretion. This podcast is not for everybody. Thank you. All right. Hello. Hello. I have 12 questions community. So our guest today is Tony Grabmeyer and I'm excited and grateful uh, to have him here. He's a successful co-founder, partner of Ship Offers, publisher of Be Fulfilled um, journals and magazine. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. Also, you've been the creator of multiple podcasts, uh, the Tony G show, I believe it was for years. And now it is um, the real stories behind uh, success where you kind of weave together insights on business and self-discovery and the really short episodes, which is kind of cool too. They're usually what, six, seven, eight minutes. Um, and of course you are a person in recovery. So your name was suggested to me by Parisa Noble of Noblier Media, uh, a mutual friend of ours. And she said that you'd be a great person to interview just because your story, both personally and professionally, so I want to say thank you to Parisa for making that connection. And thank you, Tony, for joining the show. Thank you so much for having me. And Parisa's a rock star. I love, I love her story. I love what she's up to. And I love how she's really helping people to get a message out to the world in a new way, which she's helping me with my book. So that's one of the things that I love is somebody to help get things out of me that I'm not used to, you know, expressing myself in necessarily words that are fluid and go beautifully on a page. But she's really good about doing that. Exactly. Yeah, she really is. So if it's okay, I want to just start with kind of like an icebreaker, but I heard through your podcast or something I read, I can't remember now, but do you have any funny stories about leaving the burbs and moving to the country or like to a ranch? 
Man, great question. During during kind of the COVID pandemic, the world where we kind of closed down, my wife said, hey, what do you think about looking at property you know, out in the country? I was like, sure. And I'm like, how far in the country? She's like, just down the road. I said, great. The good thing is I'm only 20 minutes from really anywhere I need to be. So work's not a further commute. It's just a different commute. So we got a tractor. I remember this. We got a tractor like the day before one of the biggest snowstorms that we had on record in a long time in Colorado. And, you know, here I am. I'm a, I'm a guy who grew up in Santa Cruz, California, flip flops, tank tops and beach shorts. And, and I played in the water for a living. That was I played water polo in high school and college. And so I'm like, sure, I know how to ride a tractor. I don't. But it's it's literally a kind of a machine that goes forward and backwards has a bucket and you have a little blade in the back. So I gave it a couple spins around the parking lot. My wife jumped in, gave it a few spins. Great. Went in and came out. And all of a sudden, snow was everywhere. I mean, it was like a couple feet deep already. I was like, oh, my gosh, like I have to clear this road. I'm, I'm responsible for a portion of the road, which is an, a fire access road. So I head out. I'm doing great. I'm pretty confident for the first, like, maybe five, 600 feet. I'm feeling good. I turn the corner. I go down the hill. And all of a sudden, I get stuck. And I'm, like, literally stuck halfway down 35 acres of property. And I've been there for a short period of time. A lady I do not know, neighbor to the right. Her name's Melissa and her husband. And they, Melissa comes out, like, literally with a snow shovel going, hey, do you need help? Do you need help? And I'm like, Kind of, but I don't know what you're really going to do for me because that's like 500 more feet for me to go. And I think I'm right here. So I call my wife and I'm like, hey, can you get ready and come out? So she, you know, it takes her like 15 minutes to get to me. We shovel for like 30 minutes and I try rocking this thing. Nothing happens. Like, babe, let's just hike back. So we go back. And my tractor is only 35 horsepower. Now, I only knew two people in the neighborhood. I knew the president and the vice president of the HOA. There's only 12, 12 properties. So the next morning, my uh, president of the HOA, Brad, sees sees that I'm stuck and he takes his 105 horsepower John Deere. I mean, it is a green beast. And he just rolls up and he looks at me and he goes, you need some help? I'm like, yes, please. Yeah. I tossed him the key, not exaggerating, 30 seconds. He unrocked it and, and there was still more snow. He just unrocked it. He knew what to do and I didn't. And that's a big kind of lesson about life for me. Today, I'm not afraid to ask for help. Uh, in my previous life, I would never ask for help um, because I thought, hey, I got this. And so Brad was just a new extension for me of saying, yeah, I need help. Sure. And I'm good today saying, I don't know how to do that. Um, however, what I've learned is, is now living in the country, I may not know how to, you know, change shoes on a horse. I may build a fence or do this, but they don't know how to do tech like I do. They, they, they don't know about security like I do. Their security is a gun. Mine is like cameras to tell me people are coming. So we're <laughs> and so it, for me, that's a funny story about moving to a new area is you have life experience. So do they. And my job is to figure out how I can be of service to them without needing anything returned. And by just blessings and grace, I've been able to learn so much. And I literally called, called Brad a week ago and said, you know, thank you for letting me talk something out with you. He didn't even know what he said, but I went home and I was able to solve a problem. That's why it's so important for us to ask. For help because we need it in our day and especially in recovery. I love that analogy because he, you asked for help. He knew what he was doing because he's been out in the country or whatever, but he also had the tools, the tool that was necessary. So, um, and it used to just be the end of the world to ask for help, but now you're like, yeah, I need help. I don't know. You know, I love that. It's such a big it deal. A, it was a crutch for me for the longest period of time. And I, and, and one of the things I teach people, as I said, you know, we, all could walk free if we would put our crutches down. Mm. We all walk with them. If we just put our crutches to the side for a moment, what are you really afraid of? Right? There's a day you're born and a day you die in between. There's a dash. And I'm like, I'm not going to let something stop me from living my dash today. And that used to be, I didn't need your help because I just figured it out. And I could do that, but I wasted a lot of time. I can get through my day so much quicker by saying, hey, could you help me for a second? Instead of me trying to spend 10 hours trying to figure it out, doesn't mean I don't. I just spend a lot less time doing it. And I'm more empowered to be of service. And again, I get a lot in return for that. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that story. So on one of the episodes, it's called uh, In the Thick of My Disease. Um, and it's spelled dis-ease, which we hear a lot in the rooms. What I mean, I know this could be a very long, you know, soliloquy on your part, but like, can you kind of just tell us about your journey with addiction? 
you know, what that was like for you? Because you touch on it in some of the episodes and bits and pieces, but what was it like for you? I've been an addict all my life. Every time it didn't matter about money, gambling, sex, drugs. I chase it. It's, it's a thrill. Um, the only thing I've never chased in life was speed. I was never like a speed freak. A lot of people are. I wasn't. Really, for me, my addiction was, you know, I was home alone a lot. And my mom, I thought my mom didn't love me. I thought that was something that I noticed because my mom was never home. And I didn't know it was it wasn't me. And, you know, you learn a lot in the rooms recovery. It's not all about you, Tony. You know, let your ego go. And what I learned was my mom was doing the best she could um, being a single mom, raising two kids. My sister was six years older than me. And she worked three jobs to put food on the table for my sister and I. I didn't realize that I was through a growth spurt between sixth grade and eighth grade. I grew uh, six inches. And so I was, my mom would settle her, you know, book at the end of the month and there'd be like 13 cents in it. Like my mom was trying to figure out how to like keep the lights on in the house and not move and give us stability because my mom didn't have stability. I didn't know that until long later in life. And what I saw was then I asked to go live with my dad. And so I ended up going living with my dad, Rich, uh, you know, produced the Miss California pageant for 30 years, a successful uh, interior designer. Um, I thought like, man, this guy had everything that I wanted. But once again, he wasn't around. He was busy working. And so I, at my dad's house, had free reign. He loved doers. So there was scotch all around. I found his cigarettes. So I used to smoke his cigarettes. And I started like almost pretending it was like, this cool new life. You know, it's like, Oh, I'm all, this is my mansion. I'm by myself. Next thing I know, slowly started drinking, slowly started doing drugs, um, started isolating, uh, and started hanging with the wrong people. And one thing led to another, by the time I was through high school, I was an all-star athlete, but I was drunk every day of my senior year. And that was an issue. I would drink every day to feel like I could fit in. And the people I was hanging around with were not good people. Not that they weren't good people. They were good people for me. And, um, you know, I got kicked off the water polo team for a brief moment because I got drunk and, you know, in front of the tri-school dance, made it real, you know, asked myself. And one thing that I was told was like, you have so much talent, Tony, you're wasting it by doing stupid things. And it didn't catch up with me until 36 years old when I was married, now separated, filed for divorce two small children, living in an apartment, million in debt, no credit. My work was you know, falling apart. I'd already owned a company. And I was like, man, what the heck? And I didn't know that I had a problem with drinking. I didn't know I had a problem with drugs. I didn't know I had a problem with anything. No one ever had told me I was an alcoholic. No one ever told me I was an addict. And I tried to commit suicide. And uh, when that happened on October 9th, 2008, my friend John Monazzari came over to my house was living in an apartment and I was writing my suicide note and he knocked on the door and I answered and he says, you know, Tony, your life has meaning and purpose and how you're living it doesn't. And he gave me a big hug and embraced me. And he shared some really impactful things with me. He's like, look, you know, you've been through a lot. I've been through a lot. And this is not how I think your life goes. I think there's a, like another chapter to it. He left 45 minutes later, a pastor friend came over and he, he shared a vision with me, which I still talk to both of these people on a regular basis. And he said, you know, I really see your life helping people, but right now we need to help you. And I didn't know what that meant. And um, I stayed pretty much clean for a little bit of time until the 23rd of October of 2008, until I attended a a seminar and they made a little voucher, a little thing like, hey, no using drugs this weekend. I said, sure. And I made it through the weekend. And this is when I really knew I was a full-blown addict. I finished up this workshop. And then they gave you like a 10 week seminar. And I went to the first week seminar and somebody said, you know, how are you doing? I said, I'm great. And said, you know, how's your drink? And I said, I haven't had a drink. And they said, why? I said, because I signed a piece of paper. They said it was for the weekend, like, like long time ago. And the next week I showed up drunk, showed up the next week drunk. The next week I was like falling all over the place. And then they asked me, said, you know, please don't return if you're drinking. And that really clicked and on 12, 14 of 08, I called the aide. my mom to ask her about something that I was working on. And, you know, she dealt with my dad, who was an alcoholic and my grandfather, who was an alcoholic and my great grandfather, who was an alcoholic. And there was just enough lineage to say, oh my God, there's something here. My mom goes, I think you need help. And I said, no, I don't. 
And for 44 minutes, my mom and I battled back and forth. Not ever like to the point where I was like, you know, you're wrong. But I was to the point where you're like, you don't know what you're talking about. And she said, well, hey, you know, I dealt with your dad and I've been to meetings and I've been to it. And I think if you would allow the men and women to help you, I think you could find some help and hope. And man, you have so many great talents to offer this world. And at the 45th minute, I'm like, fine, mom, you know what? I do need help. And I hung up the phone. I left my, I was with my kids and my wife up at their house, went home, got out my laptop, took a test, pass, fail, whatever you want to call it. And for the very first time in my life, it says, I think you're an alcoholic and you might need help. Called the only person I knew, uh, Chris. Um, and I said, Chris, is there any chance you could take me to a meeting? Um, he goes, when do you want to go? And I'm like, not right now, you know, can we do it tomorrow? And so I, <laughs> I said, you know, sometime tomorrow, he goes, okay. And he picked me up and he took me to uh, the Monday, you know, big book study, five o'clock. The person sharing was Tom. I thought he was like the grand poobah, the head honcho. I'm sitting um, and people were reading their favorite part of the big book. And I, and then people were sharing. And I started hearing me. That was the first time I really identified. I mean, I knew I was kind of messed up, but I, that's the first time I heard somebody sound like me. And then afterwards, a gentleman by the name of Dale, he walked up, he had a uh, six months ahead of me in time. He goes, Hey, Tony, this big book, if you, you know, read it, the first 164 pages, it might just change your life. And, uh, every year, um, on my birthday, I get a text message or a call from him because we're six months apart and we stay in touch and I live in a completely different state and we're not the same in age. And I, you know, I saw for the very first time, I have this disease. I have this way about myself that if I calm myself down, work a program, call my sponsor and do all the things around sobriety, I've got a chance today to really take my dash and magnify it and do something magnificent with it. And, and it's a gift every day for me. When I wake up, I, I don't know what the day holds because I ask God for my higher power for contribution and connection to come out of my day, whatever I can do, can I contribute and can I connect with individuals? And if I do that, not only do I stay sober, but I start realizing that, you know, that's the gift that I was looking for all my life connection. I, I felt abandoned as a kid and come to find out my parents loved me. They just did the best they could with what they had. Um, and they were abandoned as kids. So we're in, we're in this really weird cycle. And I, my mom said something, I'll wrap up this answer. My mom said something to me on the phone. You know, she said, son, you have a chance to break the cycle. I was really powerful for me because I was like, dad, grandfather, great grandfather. I'm like, you could break the cycle. And so, hey, I've chosen to break the cycle and to do everything I possibly can to be there for people. People come into my office at my company day to day, my neighbors. I openly talk about recovery. Recovery to me is not something to be ashamed of. It's something that you have no control over. And if you do get an understanding of your disease, you realize, you know, I can't cure this thing. It's a habit. It's something that when it, liquid goes into my body or drugs go into my body, things change. So if I can't control that, I can control my mind and I'm going to just make new habits because that other habit's always there. I'm always an alcoholic. I'm always a drug addict. But I'm going to move it to the side. I'm going to build new habits that make me a, a better human being. So I can show up for my wife today, coming up on 25 years of marriage in July, uh, reworked my relationships with my kids, rebuilt my relationship with my business partner, rekindled relationships with my friends, was present for my dad's death and my mom's death, was able to walk through without needing to pick up or use. And I would never have been able to do that before because I thought the normal thing to do is be numb. Yeah. Wow. It's a lot. <clears throat> Thank you for that made me a little emotional. Okay. So you're talking about calming yourself down, calling somebody this and that, um, and then having a better shot at, you know, con contributing and, and connection. Do you have like a number one tool, just like it's a must do like brushing your teeth where recovery is concerned that you do every single day. I mean, you're like a motivational speaker basically. And I always wonder if people like you take their own advice uh, like <laughs> in real life. So what's the one thing that you just, you absolutely know you have to do to be on the beam? The thing for about the past six years for me has really been tap into my daily devotional. I, mm -hmm. I follow one on uh, an app on my phone. 
I think the secondary part is connect with my sponsor. My, my sponsor just celebrated, you know, 47 years of sobriety. Um, he's a lot older than me, but yet I feel like age is not something to talk about. What really is, is we just bond and mm-hmm. it's like a brother to me. It's like um, a mentor, a friend. I saw him yesterday. I saw him today. I saw him the day before. I mean, like we hang out, we talk, break bread, eyeball to eyeball. Um, those are must for me. And the biggest must for me is I have to do what I just told you, contribution and connection. That is a hundred percent on my to-do list every single day. Um, when I built an app called be fulfilled and I give it away for free, I created it because I wanted people to have tools and it asks you a question every day. It's like, what's your current focus? My current focus every single day is sobriety. If I, if I connect with my higher power, man, there's a good chance when I talk to you next, I'm going to be hundred percent making sense to you and we're going to have a great conversation. And then it's not going to be about me. It's going to be about you. And, wow. and that's to me. And so my phone rings pretty early because people call me um, by 5 a.m. My phone's ringing. I've already got three or four calls from the East Coast, West Coast. People are up like me. Um, you know, I don't want to call it high functioning, but yeah, I move pretty quick. Um, I think that's just my DNA. My DNA is not to sit still. I don't do well in my sitting in a place for very long. I feel very stagnant. And so because of that, being an addict and, and my addictions and all that kind of stuff, I know I have to move, get up, exercise, like drink water, get going. Otherwise, you know what? I think I would use. If I sat too long, my brain, negative talk, would literally try to get me. So if my routine is pretty much get out of the house and go fast, get to that meeting, make 10 phone calls on that 25-minute drive, you know, be of service. And I call a lot of people. That's also one of my things. I call people, even if you don't answer, it's still the act for me. I, I, I call friends of Bill, friends of Bob, whatever you want to call it. I call people. I call people that I mentor. I call people. I'm like, hey, how are you? I don't mind if I get your voicemail. It's mm-hmm. still, it's the thing that fuels my day. And then by the time I roll into my office, um, I'm grateful. I got, a, I got a friend in the program in my office and we go have little mini meetings. We pull each other aside. We talk. He's got more sobriety than me. So it's great. I can lean on him. So those are all the things that are necessary. And then I will wrap it up with this. My wife, um, it's very necessary for me to connect with her, not on a just level, but it's like, just make sure we get five, 10 minutes a day. Um, she has people in her life who are addicts. And then she has her husband. And so it's important for me to make sure she knows I'm in a good place. And if I'm struggling, then and I, I talk sometimes I've got some depression. I'm, I'm feeling I've got some anxiety. And so it's really good for us to connect on that level because then she understands what she's walking into for a day. Mm. You know, if I'm having an off day, you know, if like I was on a plane coming back from actually I was on a plane going to Dubai just a week ago and I'm in my book. I have a dedication to my mom. And I said, you know, when I'm on a plane today, it's my Zen zone. It's my checkout from the world. It's like detached from technology. It's like, and I was just talking to my mom, like I normally do all through my day. My mom passed uh, August 30th of 2022. It just threw me for a loop because I talked to my mom every day, every single day. And just in probably the last, I don't know, five, six years, she started telling me how proud she was. And I knew she was proud, but I started hearing those things. And so I was sitting in the plane, just talking. I was telling her mom, you know, thank you. I'm you know, grateful for what you have been able to do in my life and all this. And uh, I quickly opened my eyes and uh, grabbed the, the little TV remote in front of me on the plane. And my mom, when she was kind of she, dementia and when she was ill, she uh, watched the same two or three movies. She watched like Crazy Rich Asians and Fisherman Friends. That's all my mom, like every time, like, what are you doing? She's like, have you seen Fisherman's Friends? I'm like, no, mom, tell me about it. And so it was like this ongoing thing. And so I literally, I hang up from talking, you know, in my head with my mom and I look at the TV and it's like brand new, you know, movie Fisherman Friends. It's like the chapter two. And I was like, that's the God shot that I know I need. Yes. So I make sure in my life, I find those on a daily basis. I tune into, you know, so many humans go this way. A good friend of mine and one of my sponsors told me, hey, Tony, you got to get your antennas up. There's too much this way. And that's all the self 
ego stuff on the flat line. If you connect here, that's the channel. That's the, the thing that you can't explain, but you want to, you want to say, Hey, you should look, you know, my God's amazing. I'm like, no, whatever you believe, you believe, because we all believe in something. But when I get connected to source, when I get, when I get honed into that, um, I feel like I'm not unstoppable, but I believe I have a power greater than myself helping me to do things that I never could have done on my own. And, you know, no parents around anymore. I have to lean on things today. So my connection with my higher power is utmost at the top of my kind of what I got to focus on on a daily basis. Absolutely. And it's, isn't it interesting how when you're out of self and you're open, you'll find, you'll see those things, those God shots. And like, it's almost like everything all of a sudden looks like a miracle. But when we're in self or when we're in addiction, for me, that channel was closed. I mean, I, something could have been right in front of my face and I wouldn't have seen it, but getting all these reassurances or signs or God shots, God winks, whatever you want to call them. Um, it's such a beautiful thing. And I know for me, like when you were just saying that these antenna looking for validation or comfort or whatever this way, as opposed to, to that, you know, um, it's huge, but I I think the unfortunate thing for our brain is this, like, you know, you had your drug of choice. I had mine. Didn't matter how you got sober. Didn't matter how you got clean. Your story was yours hundred percent to your own. So many people in meetings, you know, well, you know, I didn't get this or I didn't get that. I was like, no, but you got what you got. And, uh, you're, you're staying clean and sober today and that's enough. And what I learned was, is everybody has a story. Everybody has a way. And when I get into meetings, I only talk about the here and the now. I only talk about what's current, what's going on. Cause all that other crap, I can't change it. Yeah. Um, I can spend a lot of time in life's dumpster digging it, looking for it and talking about it. But the reality is, is like, what are you doing about it? You know, what, what is today's goal for you? And that's why in my journal, I say, you know, current focus, what's the thing you want to achieve today? You know, Amanda, like you're rocking a podcast, you know, consultant doing all these amazing things. And, you know, you were talking about your daughter being home and all these, these things, all of that will go to the wayside if you pick up and use today, because all those things, nobody's going to want to hear a podcast about a girl who's in recovery, supposedly, but not, uh, <laughs> nobody wants to and who, you know, can't show up because we don't know where she's at. And our kids don't want to be around us if we can't, you know, get our crap together. So, so many of these things that we have to work on is, is just in this small little window, the day you wake up until the time you go to bed. And like, how do you stay clear and free, you know, and yeah. there's so many things and distractions coming your way. So, no, I think it's a gift. And I think what you're doing is amazing. And I think don't, don't limit this to, what, what I'm about to tell you, Amanda, but like you, you have a gift and keep flowing with your calling and don't worry or feel ashamed or sad or what, like it's a talent to put something out, to bear your soul, to say, Hey, look, I screwed up and messed up, but look what I'm doing now. That's a gift. And more people need people like you in the world to say, it's okay to uh, be a drunk. It's okay to mess up, but it's not okay not to do something about it. And if you listen to my show, you'll hear stories of people who recovered and who are going through it. So I just want to tell you that. Uh, thank you so much. That means a lot to me, especially coming from like listening to your podcast and just listening to all these little snippets. It just feels so familiar because it's the language that I'm used to hearing, but it makes sense because it's also how my mind works. So, you know, but it's all solution oriented. And my original sponsor used to always say, you've got about 30 seconds to frame up the problem. And then we're going to get into the action part, right? What are we going to do about it? Like slap a step on it. Do we need to call somebody? You make an amends. Like there's a bunch of stuff, but she would never let me just vent for very long. Right. It's like, frame it up, get into solution, you know? And I, and that's how I kind of try to approach my life now, but I love that about all of your work too, because that's, it's very solution oriented. Yes, you can acknowledge the issue, but like what, you know, what are you going to focus on? And that's to me what it's all about, you know, otherwise we'll just get sucked down the drain with all the problems and whatnot. So can you tell me a little bit about Be Fulfilled? Like just kind of, you know, what that is, the app and the journal, and you've, you've kind of got a whole line of that. What is it? What's it about? What's it for? Perfect. So I run a logistics company, shipping and fulfillment, and I had what you'd love to call is professional fulfillment. I got a business. It's 22 years in the making. started in a garage. Things are cool. But man, I like that personal fulfillment so bad. And uh, through kind of recovery and 
masterminds and seminars and all this, I'd always come home and um, I'll just grab a couple pages of my notes sitting here talking to you really quick. And I just would scribble and their little notes and things. And I realized one day I was like, I don't really have this sexy, fun thing to put my notes in. And if you open my iPhone and you go to my notes section, I think there's 4,000 notes sitting in there. Like I write, right? I'm, I'm always putting things in places. That's another thing about finding somebody with ADHD. My wife described it perfectly. She heard it that people who have like ADHD, a learning disability, this or that, they put things in boxes and they just need places to put stuff. Um, so a person who doesn't have ADHD will literally kill themselves trying to make a person with ADHD reform and try to be somebody who they're not. Um, so my wife is great. Um, she gives me a kind of like an oh shit drawer, just throw everything in it. <laughs> and the journal is like an oh shit drawer, write your thoughts, put your stuff, but at least I try to keep it tidy and neat. And what I realized in the process was like the things I were doing were making me happier. And I started talking to a lot of different people, entrepreneurs. And I was just talking to a friend this morning. My friend Vernon Foster wrote a book, uh, Black Guys Deal with ADHD, like how to do it or whatnot. And he, I called him. I said, what are you doing? He's like, I'm in this workbook this morning. I was like, oh, tell me about it. He's like, yeah, instead of just saying you have ADHD, why don't you learn about like the things that you can do about it through like anger? How do you deal with depression? How do you do? I'm like, oh, well, I have a program of 12 steps in recovery that I have a workbook. And I kind of realized like be fulfilled if you hold it. And if you've never seen one, Amanda, I'll send it to you and you'll laugh when you, when you open it. It's basically big book blue. Like it literally looks like the big book. I'm like, I'm colorblind for one, but two, I realize when I see something, I like it. I just kind of becomes my color and frame of reference, right? You see a car go down the road. Next thing you know, all you're thinking about is that car. So I put this thing together. It's 12 weeks and I wrote a 12 week masterclass to go with it, to help people kind of just deal with their crap, but not have to say I'm an AA or I'm in this. And it is not a moneymaker for me. I'd rather give the journals away to know that I gave impact to somebody and help them find their path. Uh, the journal uh, app was nothing more than, hey, once again, let's put it in digital form. More people are on digital than they are physical. Uh, people travel. Why don't we give them a tool? So I put that together. That was a ton of money. It wasn't something that I'm making money with because it's free. So I love I loved the Be Fulfilled app for that. And then the courses, uh, drainers and drivers, all the things that I teach and do, they're all from conversations like what I'm having with you. Something will pop in my mind. I'll write it down. I'll revisit it. I'm like, I should write a class about that. Somebody will tell me, I'd, I'd love that. And next thing I know, I'll launch it and have a couple thousand people like, you know, test it all out. And so I realized that's me as being the entrepreneur. And with all that kind of stuff, that's where I found personal fulfillment, being of service, giving back, helping somebody today who doesn't know how to help themselves. I coach a lot of people about finances because I was a ton of money in debt. And I love helping people get out of the mess. And Jim Rohn, uh, I call them my graveyard mentors, uh, Zig Ziglar, Wayne Dyer, um, and Jim Rohn. He says, you know, study, practice, and teach. So that's one big thing that he talks about. And the second thing he talks about is don't leave them in the mess. And the Be Fulfilled Journal is to help me help others by not leaving them in the mess. You know, like show them a path how you did it, show them how they could possibly do it. And I give everything as a suggestion. So, you know, Be Fulfilled really became a brand, a moniker, an idea, a thought. And it really has grown into more than me. And I love that. I love that people buy them, give them away at Fortune 500 companies. People give them away at nonprofits. People give them away at charity auctions. People give them away at masterminds. That to me tells me that it's working for more than just me. And I love seeing something I create, you know, grow and, 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 and kind of like go all over the place. That's so cool. I did see it online and it was blue. Um, and I haven't, I need to look at the app as well, but I just love the fact that it was organized in a way that actually makes sense. Because yeah. most people how do. How to design your day is a good way to explain it. Like, how do you design your day so it works for you? And you rate your day at the end of the day, something I've never found in recovery, something that I've never found in anywhere else. At the end of the day, it asks you some questions like, you know, how'd you sleep last night? You know, how was your, how was your, you know, relationships today? And, you know, and when you open the app, you're going to see it visually, it'll show you and rank and then it'll, you can go back and you can put entries in there and you can search them and you can do a lot of things. 
man, the one thing that I know that I need more in my life, I don't need more data. I already know I'm an addict and alcoholic. I know like I have all these things. What I need to know is that I'm like making progress today of being a better human. And when I put my, my brain down on paper, I can see for the first time in my life, Tony, you're doing the best you can. I know you can do better, but are you happy? And that's when I found fulfillment is like, I'm happy. I love that so much because you can't, you can't correct what you aren't measuring or what you're not aware of. And that's why we do a nightly. That's why we do a 10 step and, and 12 step rooms, because it's like, I just need to, you know, keep track of these patterns and, and, you know, call something out day by day instead of letting it, letting it build up. But I love this idea of, you know, rating your day and, and trying to not just in the silo of recovery, but across everything, right. Relationally sleep and your health and all the different things. So the, when you talk about masterminds, I'm like, so I guess I'm just completely not hip and I'm out of the loop. I literally just made an Instagram for this podcast. Like I don't really do social. I'm just, I I don't know. But when people say mastermind and you were talking about in one of your episodes about in-person finding a mentor and the fact that the connection piece is something that so many of us are missing and we don't even know that we're missing it. I think it was called destroying excuses that maybe an event that you did in Denver a while back. What is a mastermind? What is it? Who can go? What do you do when you're there? I I mean, there's masterminds all around us, like local groups, like BNI, EO, there's places that you can go, but because we're talking recovery, let's just make it really simple for anybody listening. Yeah, It's like being in a meeting. Okay. And you're there on speaker day and somebody leads the meeting and says, all right, we're going to turn to so-and-so and they're going to share their story. However, instead of them just sharing a story, think of the person leading the meeting saying, I've got some questions. Um, does anybody have anything that they have a problem or they want to work on? And the speaker says, oh, I do. And then you kind of have a little back and forth dialogue. And that person's sometimes in a hot seat. So a mastermind is a workshop, a group where that's one little exercise that can come from it. But it's usually like-minded individuals. They're working on something and they join a, a group. I've been in masterminds filled with 200 people members. I've been in masterminds with 15. And it's really about finding people with like-minded results, individuals who are trying to grow, getting around them consistently once a month, sometimes quarterly, and you're talking and you're working on things. And then they come back and report. And the mastermind could be like a boardroom where you're giving updates. But the reality is there's a mastermind probably in your neighborhood Mm -hmm. and you just don't know it. It's not the mom's club. It's not the guy's club. But there's like right where you live, you could probably like go on Facebook and say, hey, does anybody know where there's like a business mastermind or, hey, a real estate mastermind or a uh, coaching mastermind or a relationship mastermind or a workshop on this or a workshop on that? And before you know it, it's the ask. That's why I go to masterminds. It's because my head has ideas and things and I want to get around people who can solve those problems. And so, you know, Google's great, um, but so is WebMD. But if you go there for the wrong thing, you can like not go to bed for a week because you're like paranoid that every little thing you got in your body is killing you. And the reality is, is, you know, mastermind for me has been the greatest thing. And thanks to Kevin Cohen, um, I think it was like uh, 2013, I was stuck behind a desk just about getting ready to podcast. And he called me, he goes, so what are you doing? I said, nothing. He's like, well, you know, you're way too talented to sit behind a desk. Let's get out and go do something. And so he introduced me to really what a business uh, idea that really changed our lives. And I got to one in uh, San Francisco and I heard William Shatner on stage speak. And I remember William Shatner, you know, from Star Trek, TJ Hooker, all these things growing up. He was just talking about the Brown Bag Wine Club and it wasn't applicable to me, but the idea behind it was where he says like, hey, we put a bottle of wine in a brown bag. No one knew what the bottle of wine was. We poured everybody a glass and then we talked about like the wine and the way it tasted. And I, so I'm sitting there salivating for a few minutes. I wasn't a big wine drinker, but I got the idea. I was like, oh, I need to be around people just to talk about things like a new piece of software or, Hey, a plugin for a website or, Hey, I need this or I need that. I need to around, be around people. So think of a mastermind like that. You want to be around people that think like you and you'll go into a mastermind and you'll know if you're in the right room, kind of like if you're in the right meeting, you'll know within a couple of minutes. 
And you probably heard this, like, don't leave the first meeting thinking, you know, the program sucks. I'm like, there's a million other meetings. There's a million other masterminds. So find one that fits you and that you like and make sure that you contribute. Don't just take kind of like what you've heard, you know, take what you need and leave the rest. I do that in masterminds. Take what I need, but I'm always giving and serving and helping as well. I love that. That's such a cool, that's such a cool idea. And something I think that we we definitely all need that connection. And sometimes I feel, I don't know. I always just thought I was a very analytical, logical person. And then you start to realize, or I've started to realize more and more that I'm actually a creative too. And I always have been, I just, it didn't pay the bills and I had a kid to raise. So I just, you know, needed to go do the job that paid more. But when you're around people who are like that, but it feels sometimes like you're on Shark Tank and, you know, when the sharks will tell people like, whoa, you have way too many ideas. You need to, you need to really focus in on this product line and figure out how to scale that. And then you can go deal with this. But a lot of entrepreneurial creative people, it's part of the problem, right? There's too much. There's too many ideas. Like when I was drinking and using, I remember like kind of feeling like, oh, I wish this day would just be over. And now I feel like I don't have enough lifetimes to get done all the things I want to get done because there's so much to do and there's so many ideas and there's so many other people with great ideas. So I think a mastermind, I think that idea of sharing that and helping other people develop their ideas is really exciting. Yeah, the hot seat, the hot seat idea would be perfect. So you can take the shark tank analogy, you can take the person up there. Instead of the shark saying, you have too many ideas, they say, hey, have you ever thought about this? And then think about the rest of the people in the room. Uh, And what I love about the masterminds that I attend, they only let you share if you have what? Experience and strength around it, right? Like you you literally have to have gone through it or going through it to be able to share a lot of times a mastermind. So you're like, hey, this is how I got through this. And that person's like, oh, please, thank you. And you know, like that's why for me, I like it. there's no wrong room. It's just finding the right room for you. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and I think the the beauty of a mastermind comes down to, to really this piece of information. Don't worry about the room being right. Be open to the idea that you're going to get in the room and you're going to get coaching. What do you want coaching on? Don't go to a mastermind without knowing what you want help on. So, So many people go to a mastermind and they come home with 50 million ideas. Uh, I went to a mastermind once and a friend said, you know, one of the reasons why I like masterminds, that guy over there, he already's gone. If you noticed, he got what he needed and he left. He got that one thing that he needed to help take his business to the next level and he is gone. He's not coming back. And I try to go to a mastermind going, what do I need? And then how can I get that thing solved and, you know, try to get out of there and get home as soon as possible. Yeah. I like the idea too, that it's twofold. It's a lot like the program, right? You're going, you're asking for help. Hey, I have this idea, but I have some gaps. I need some help. I need to talk to somebody who is smarter than me or has more experience, but also what can I contribute? And then yeah, get out of there. (laughs) So I have a question for you. How do you have fun? Um, And I ask everybody this because when you get sober, it's just like, what, what do we do for fun? So what do you do for fun? Oh my gosh, that's such a funny question to even think about. Or something you do what? when you're doing it, you're like, wow, I'm having fun. You know what I mean? <laughs> I I don't know. Okay, there's there's two things that come to mind that I can talk about without being really weird. Okay. <laughs> yeah. When we bought when we bought our ranch, we gutted it. We completely like if I live in a steel building. I live in a sixty five hundred square foot steel building, seventeen fifty is an apartment, forty five hundred is like a play. And so half of it, my wife was like, yeah, you can do that. And so we built uh, a basketball court, pickleball court indoors. And I need five to 10 minutes a day. And I have a thing. I play a game with my head. I got to make two in a row before I go to bed. So every day I'm out there shooting, practicing. I'm six foot six. My knees are gone. I've had six knee surgeries, uh, maybe because I like Norco too much. But, you know, I find myself on a basketball court and that's my thing, right? I used to play water polo. That was my hobby. That was my sport. I can't do that anymore. Second thing is I really love networking, not networking, like going to a mastermind, networking, like IT, figuring stuff out and Mm -hmm. self-taught, don't have a degree. I live in the country and all my neighbors like have guns and they're like, just let me know if you need me to shoot somebody. And I was like, okay, cool. That doesn't work. And so now I have security cameras and I've helped my neighbors get security cameras And I like figuring stuff out. So 
I'll share this little idea really quick. So uh, I don't have a way for the cable man to bring cable to my house. I live where I need a beam to send a signal to my house and a dish to receive it. And then I, I have that and I'm like, all right, cool. I have 35 megs up and down, very slow internet, but I control a complete network. So I had to figure out how to take little and turn it into a lot. From my house, I have to beam it 1,500 feet down to my barn. Okay, so it's going like Willy Wonka on the Chocolate Factory when Mike TV, you know, is going through the TV. Woo! You know, he's like going through it. And then from my barn, I got to flip some data on the other side and shoot it down to my gate. That's probably another 1,500 feet. And by doing that, I lose one megabit from one end to another. So geeking out for a moment is fun for me, right? Um, and on the flip side, you know, the other thing that I love to do for fun is I love watching to uh, How to Catch a Smuggler, Drugs, Inc., watching TV <laughs> shows. I just let my mind be waste, but also understand it teaches me a lot about business. So that's kind of the fun stuff. And if I really had my way, I love travel. That's what I love yeah. to do for fun and travel. I love that. <clears throat> so... One of my questions is there was an episode you did. I think it was one of the first ones that I listened to um, when I started researching you and, and it's called you are, you are gone and not and forgotten. And uh, it was, you shared it in January and it was talking about the loss of your, of your father and how that impacted you then and now. And, um, so I guess what I would like to hear from you is how you processed grief, whether it was losing your dad or maybe your mom or, or other things that you've had to grieve the loss of, but doing it sober, clean and sober is, is not always easy for people like us. So what was that process like for you? So I get goosebumps, to be honest. The um, grief is not something I deal with. I just pass by it. Yeah. I do not sit in it and go, oh, wow, I should grieve. Man, I think the way I grew up, like, pull up your pants, get moving. Like, you don't have time to deal with this shit. Now, I'm grateful I've got a sponsor. I'm mm -hmm. grateful that I can unload on him and tell him I'm having a bad day. When I go to my wife, I told you, like, you know what works for me. It's like, hey, I'm off today. Those are the small ways that I kind of deal with it. Um, I didn't have a way to process my dad. I mean... I literally went home, Santa Cruz, packed up his stuff and had a service. Left, went home, you know, I had to deal with some things financially. And then, you know, with my mom, my mom, I still have never processed that 100%. I still can't believe my mom's gone. She left so quick. Um, I talked to her, my stepdad. They've been married 20 some, 22 years. <clears throat> and you know, when he gets choked up, I get emotional, but I really, when I hang up the phone, I, I flip. It's like, uh, turn the channel on the radio. I'm on to the next song. I don't sit in the sad song for a long time Yeah, where I get sad and where I get to celebrate people. When I listen to like Lionel Richie, my dad, that, my dad loved Lionel Richie and, uh, Julio Iglesias back in the day. Like I get to think of them. That's how I grieve. Uh, my mom, watch a movie, talk about my mom. Those are the ways that I grieve. Um, but I've never sat, um, and I hate to say this and be mean, but I, I don't know if I shed a tear with my mom or my dad and it wasn't anything other than I was just sad. And I go, I got to move. I got to go. And because I told yeah. her before, if I sit long, I'm going to overthink something and that's probably going to steer me in the bad direction. And I don't want to go in that direction. And so that's how I move through grief. Some people will say that's wrong. Good thing is I have licensed PhD doctors and people that I've worked with who have told me one thing and I've had people in the program tell me another, and I'm grateful that I have the suggestion box available and you can make your suggestions. Doesn't mean I'm going to use them, but I'm <laughs> open. I'm open to them. Mm. And, um, as I can tell, I can't look you in the eye cause I probably will cry. And that's, that's one filter for me right now. That's my strong filter is like, I won't cry. Um, mm. cause it's not the time for me. Uh, I'll process when I get to, um, and I celebrate every day, making sure that both my mom and my dad are proud of me by living in a life that would make them proud. I love that. That's really sweet. Did you, 
and you can just say, I don't want to talk about this anymore <clears throat> if you want to, but did you not have mo- do you not have moments where, where it comes out sideways? Because I'm just saying, like, I just lost my pop at the end of September to cancer. And I saw a bunch of horrible things and he had to go through a lot of work. It was just, you know, and so I'm, I'll be like, you know, it's on my calendar, like grieve three to three fifteen PM, you know, because <laughs> I have a bunch of other stuff to do, but I have found that it, for me, it has come out sideways in fits of anger or, um, feeling really disconnected or like not wanting to go to a meeting, or maybe I want to isolate more and that's not usually how I am. And so has it shown up for you in any other, cause I think grieving is very personal. People do it all kinds of different ways. There's no right or wrong way. So people, like you said, people can have their opinions about how I need to be grieving and things. I don't, know, I don't know if there's a way for you. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Let's see what I'll do. Hold on. No, I don't know how to play. It's my mom. It's my mom's voice. She, uh, towards the end, she's she left me a lot of voice messages. Oh. So for me, those are beautiful. Those are yeah. memories. And when my dad died, my uh, youngest, Owen, asked me, he goes, Dad, what do you, what's your regret? I said that I didn't interview my dad. I didn't ask him these questions. I didn't ask him. And so I've been helping people for the last several years get the courage to do what you're doing. And that's why I think podcasting is such a great medium. You know, I was in radio for much of my life. And um, getting a recorder like your iPhone or an Android, putting it on record and just sit, mom, dad, I'm going to record you. I just have some questions. I'd love these for something I'm working on. Sure, son. Sure. Whatever. And ask <laughs> those questions, get those answers before it's too late. And, and I literally will tell you from the day that my dad died to the day my mom passed was about eight years. And I never did it with my mom. Mm-hmm. And so that is my little, and I was teaching, like, we think we talked a little bit about, like, we're really good advocates at telling people, Hey, this is a great suggestion. We don't eat our own dog food. You know, and so with that being said, I helped uh, my my wife's dad to be able to do that, to sit down in the recording studio and record a bunch of questions that she wanted to know the answers to. I think it's super important. I encourage anybody. um, Don't don't be like me and don't have the recordings of what your parents answers are, even if they're good, bad or ugly. There are answers. Um, And so for me, um, I've got five recordings from my mom and. One was like, get me out of here. Get me home. I don't want to be here anymore. And then I got the other ones like, I love you. I know you're busy working, but when you get a chance, call me. And that's the brain with dementia. That's one moment. Everything's against you. And one minute, everything's great. And so that's a windshield wiper effect. So I, those are my grieving mechanisms. Like I can listen to that and put a smile on my face. I can turn on a movie my mom loved and get a smile on my face. I can travel to a distant place or eat some food or just think of my mom and my mom in my book, I read about it. My mom always told me, I'll always be with you. Just remember, just to tap on your right shoulder. That's me tapping on yours. And so in my book and everything that I talk about, I want to encourage people just to tap on your right shoulder. If you're around me long enough, you'll know that I'm there for you. And there's going to be a day I'm going to be gone, but I want to do everything I can while I'm here to make sure that there's enough of me that people can go on YouTube and they can listen on Spotify, they can read books, they can read literature to understand that my brain is nothing more than a frequency that's been emitting for a long time, that all of these people have made an impact in my life. And I just want to share it with the world so people don't go unforgotten. Yeah. I love that. You talk a lot in your, in fact, it's in your intro, I think in your podcast about making today the best day of your life. Right. And I love all of it. I find it very encouraging. And it's a reminder that I too have agency. I have choices, right? I can decide what kind of day I'm going to have. I can decide what I'm going to put my energy into, blah, blah, blah. However, I have negative self-talk. I have self-defeating patterns. You know, I have all this stuff. And especially when I'm going through something kind of shitty. And so I... Does that come up for you still? How do you redirect? You've, you've alluded to it a little bit earlier in our conversation, but you know, do you have any stuff that you do in the moment that kind of can just snap you out of it? Yeah, but I'm going to tell you, I think you're the only one that has that. So you may want to go see a doctor. <laughs> have you ever done yes. that thing when you've been sober for a period of time that you just feel like you shouldn't be doing that anymore? Like you're like, oh yeah, you know, self-talk is right. normal. I mean, it's totally normal. 
So one thing that I do, uh, which is my reset, uh, I coach about this too, because a lot of people, you know, it doesn't matter if you're in recovery or not. We, we go through the same things, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not good enough. Why did I do that? You know, like that's in 30 seconds. Like I, I can literally call myself, cut myself like a redwood tree down, like 200 feet. I can chop every little section down in like 30 seconds. So I needed to figure out a mechanism to tell me it's okay. Well, about four years ago, um, before I really figured out what was going on in my life, I went into an Ikea here in Colorado. My wife and I went into Ikea. If you've ever been in Ikea, it's freaking overwhelming. I don't even know why the store exists. Like <laughs> I want to eat. I, I kind of want to eat. I don't know what to do. Do I go in my kitchen? Do I go in the bunk room? Like, where do I go? It's like, it's sensory overload. So I got into Ikea and I freaking panicked. I was like, I got to go right now. I got to go right now. This is bold. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go, go. Like, I just like, so my wife was like, all right, let's go. And so I got in the car, drove home. And I was like, oh my God, never doing that again. Never going to that place. That was like the worst experience of my life. And I'd been to Ikea a couple of times. So I, I don't know if Amber called my mom or how it happened, but I called my mom and I'm talking to my mom and she's like, just wait a minute. I'm going to have a friend call. And I knew him, an older gentleman. Um, he, he was a uh, vet and he, he actually like tended to like, uh, he lived in Burbank. He tended to Walt Disney's animals and stuff like that. So we had funny stories and great. And so he called me on the phone and we started talking and he goes, explain to me what happened. I said, well, you know, I was doing this. And I said, Oh, okay. No, Tony, I think I can sum this up in a couple, couple of words for you. I said, okay, what's that? He goes, you've heard fight or flight, right? I said, uh-huh. Yeah. He's like, you know, you everything in your body's doing these things. He's like, Take a deep breath and I want you to stay the next time that happens. I go, stay. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, stay put. All right. So I started thinking about that. I started thinking about negative self-talk. So when I have it, what happens if you just stop it? Just stop. Just... So I started doing that and my negative self-talk slowly got better and better and better and better. I just didn't answer the voice I heard anymore. <laughs> Yeah. And I realized it was just like, oh, I'm going to stay. And so one of the things that I've done with self-talk is realize that I need to counter react the mechanism that's causing it. Okay. And I've mentioned frequency up and down. Mm -hmm. Well, you have a frequency. I used to wear a, a specific type of watch and it had a uh, frequency. And if you put it on and it had a, a little mechanism in it that it would give a pulse and it would help you to get back your frequency, your natural, normal frequency in your body. And so I realized that I just need to check my pulse and then I need to take one hand and actually use the hand to guide my pulse. So I take my two fingers and I try to find my pulse. And then once I get it, I try to get in sync with it. And guess where the negative self-talk goes? I shifted just like you being an alcoholic. I take the drugs away from you. You're still an alcoholic yeah. and an addict, but I replaced it with something different. So I just replaced my negative self-talk with stay and then find my pulse and then change the frequency. So it's shifting from your head to your heart. The biggest for me, six inches is right here, <laughs> head to my heart, get here. And I'm in a much better place. And then I can be talking to you today. So I don't operate from this. This is a dangerous mechanism for Tony, but shifting to my heart and, and, and giving my heart and being of service and contributing to people's lives that comes from my heart. I do that. I'm in a much better place. That's, so that's where negative nice. self-talk is defeated yeah. for me is it's always there if you want it to be, but just don't acknowledge it. Like the boogeyman. Do you remember as a kid, mom, yeah. there's a boogeyman. Mom, there's no boogeyman. Yes, there is. And all night you would think there's a boogeyman. You watch a horror movie, like the person's coming to get me. That's just fear that you've placed. So I want to help eliminate the fear as fast as possible. You've heard this, you know, it's false evidence appearing real or F everything and run. I'm like, F everything and stay. Just stay, stay where you're at and watch how everything gets better. That's so good. It's so good because you do, for me, when it happens, I feel like there's this hijack that's happening and my fear will convince me that I don't have control of what's happening, but I actually do. And so anything like a pulse or deep breath or like a serenity prayer or whatever your thing is that kind of helps you snap out of that moment um, and, and being able to really just understand that 
I can either feed this story and make it real big and really haul ass out of Ikea, or I can sit with it and redirect. And like you're saying, um, I still don't like Ikea to this day. I'll go. (laughs) Okay. It's not bad. But another thing that was very helpful, I learned this a long time ago, is take the story out of the story and just get to the facts. What is going on right now in my life that's causing me to have this negative self-talk? So helpful to face it instead of running from it. Okay, final question, and it's a huge question. What do you want your legacy to be? Because you're an insanely successful business person with ship offers. You've got this beautiful family life. You know, you've you've accomplished a lot of things spiritually, professionally, in your recovery. Um, and so legacy can legacy can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. What does it mean to you? It's a great question. One that I've pondered a lot. One I've been a part of some pretty interesting conversations with people um, about legacy. And you know what? If today is my day, I know I lived and I loved and I laughed and that I, I did it my way. And I, once I knew I could do better, I did. And I want people to know that for themselves, like, how do you, how do you do that? Well, you need to have the deep down conversation with you of, you know, why are you here? I'm here. I'm here for contribution and connection. My legacy long after I'm gone, I hope people won't piss on my grave. I hope people will find me somewhere in the world and say, that guy did good. He made the world a better place. And once he, he knew that he needed to make some changes, he did. And I think that I will leave the world telling people it's okay to make a mistake. It's just not okay not to do something about it. And that you have time in this moment to do it. And that's what I want people to know this moment today, this only time I have with you, this is it. Did I do everything I could? Absolutely. Did I leave it all on the line? Absolutely. Did I show people that mistakes are possible and there are solutions out there to fix them? Absolutely. Do that every single day. I am living my legacy. I'm not, I'm not someday. I am today. Yeah. That is awesome. That's really it. I cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule and for all the work that you do that helps so many people. I just am really grateful to have met you and to get to have you as a guest on the show. Well, thank you. You, like I said, you do an amazing job. Keep it up. And, uh, I, I, I would love to return the favor or get you uh, be a guest on our show. Um, the real stories behind success is just really about this. It's not about money. It's not about how successful you are uh, as a career or nothing. It's really about people helping people. And I just put a sexy name around it because everybody wants to know the real story to your success. Right. Yes. They want to know like what made you successful. And I'm like, my favorite people to interview are not people you think. Mine's like my neighbor, a teacher, a counselor, some person who's like really doing impactful work, not the egotistical maniac. Like I made $57 million last year. Like I don't give a crap about how much you made. I care about how much you impacted people's lives. So I think you're doing that. Well, I really appreciate that. And so are you. And I love the fact that you talked about how you were, you know, successful at work, but you weren't fulfilled personally. And that's where a lot of this be fulfilled. And this came out, um, came out of, and, that genuine desire because there've been a lot of people that I've known that have been wildly successful in business, but they've had to step on the throats of people to get there. Maybe they're just, you know, not great. And they're hollow. They're not happy. Like that is not a place to be. It doesn't matter how rich you are. Right. Whereas the people who do good in the world, it's maybe it's not sexy. Maybe they're not making a ton of money, but they're happy, genuinely happy. And again, it's that outward stuff versus this, this relationship. Right. I mean, that's what makes the difference. 100%. And when you, every day I walk into a meeting, I touch the door. I, when I, every day I walk into my office, I touch the door. It's a pathway. It's an arch. It's a pathway to peace. It's a, it's this thing. And I, I don't want to get to the end of my life realizing that I didn't have a great relationship with my kids or my wife or my friends. Anybody you're around who is around me and knows me will tell you the same thing within 30 seconds. I hope you're ready. Cause you're not going to a place you normally go in a conversation. Cause Tony's <laughs> real and he's, he's not going to sugarcoat shit. He's going to tell you how it is. If you like it, great. If you don't like him, great. He's not here to, to make all the friends in the world. He's here for a couple good friends 
and to really have in-depth relationships with people. And so the people that I coach, the people that, you know, ask and call, they're like, Oh, I never, I never heard that before. I'm like, yeah, because everybody wants to sugarcoat your answer because they're afraid of hurting you. I want to tell you the truth, which is I fucked up. I made more mistakes. I should be dead. I should be divorced. My kids shouldn't want to do anything. My business partner shouldn't want to do anything with me. My friends and family should all be away from me. But what's awesome in recovery is once you admit you need help, you seek it, you get it, you work it, and you never quit, amazing things will happen in your life. And you will look back at it and you'll go, oh, that's the promise. Those are the promises that are given to us. They're right in front of us every single day if we just don't stop. So get in the program, work your program, stop thinking that it's a game because it's not. This isn't uh, put a quarter in a little Mario Brothers. And, you know, for me, this is life or death. Yeah. Every single day, I got to be better than I was yesterday. I can't take a day off. I can't I can't take a, a, a Xanax today and hope tomorrow I'm going to be sober and clean. I'm like, no, I got to start all over. And that's what I'm grateful about. Like everything about my mind works like this. Start, don't stop. Yeah. Move, don't stop. Keep going. One day you won't be able to do any of those things. So do them while you can now. And that will give you everything you've ever dreamed of and then some.